the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 23. Well then, verse 34, then means when they were nailing him to the cross. Jesus said, and the word there said is in the imperfect tense. So then while they were nailing him to the cross, Jesus was saying. So Jesus doesn't blurt out these two phrases together. There's a pause in between them. And the translators reflect that by the semicolon between Father, forgive them. And then for they know not what they do. You may often see movies where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is not how it happened. At some point when they're nailing his wrists and his feet, he says, Father, forgive them. Pause. And then at some point between then and when they take that cross and they drop it into the hole in the ground and the suffocation process begins to set in is when he said, for they know not what they do. There's two phrases here. We need to understand what they mean. The first one is, Father, forgive them. The word there, forgive, it means to remove the guilt from a wrongdoing. So, Father, forgive them. And I need to make it clear here, the reference here is to the act of the cross. Jesus isn't asking God to just blanketly forgive humanity, okay? And there are universalists out there who believe, well, everybody's going to go to heaven because Jesus died for everybody, which is true. And, and he prayed this here. That, that is not what he's saying here. He's talking about the act of the cross. Father, forgive them for that. So, who's the them that need to be forgiven for the act of the cross, Well, some suppose Jesus is speaking to the Roman soldiers, nailing him to the wood. They're just doing their job, right? They're they're not part of his betrayal. They're not part of his, his, his trial or anything like that. They're just doing their job. Others think it refers to everyone involved in 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 Israel at that time that that were technically guilty of the crucifixion because no one tried to stop it from happening. Uh, Therefore, the only ones who would be exempt from this would be the religious leaders who actually instigated the crucifixion. The problem with both of those views is that the New Testament states that the second part of Jesus' prayer, for they know not what they do, applies three separate times in the New Testament that it applies to the religious leaders. In Acts 3.17, when Peter is preaching, he says, And now, brethren, I realize that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 2.8, says which none of the princes of glory of this world knew, crucifying Jesus, which none of them know, for if they had known it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they understood who he was, they wouldn't have crucified him. And then Paul himself declares about his own testimony, a member of the Sanhedrin, very likely one who cast his vote for Jesus' death. He says, And I obtained mercy, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Them here... Father, forgive them for this act of the cross is everyone. 
Even Jesus' worst enemies at this time. He's saying, God, do not hold them guilty for what they're doing to me right now. And that means it even applies to us. Because all of us contributed to this act. Because all we, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have gone our own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It was me who had the hammer that drove the nails. In a sense, all of us here, he is asking that God would forgive humanity for the crime of the cross, for the wickedness of what was going on in this hour of self. Now, the request itself is fascinating because there's two sides to it. Father, forgive them. So there's Jesus' side to pray it, and then, of course, the Father's side to respond to it, right? So let's look at Jesus' side first. In this moment of evil, where great wrong is being done to him, to the sinless Son of God, who is Jesus thinking about? Others, us. I recently have gone through a lot of pain with with all my health issues. And again, I praise the Lord, my ulcer's healed, and I believe he's going to keep healing me, and I thank you for all your prayers, and so keep praying. But I can honestly tell you that during the times when it was the worst, when I was in agonizing pain, I wasn't thinking about anybody but me. Pain has a way of doing that. It has a way of just focusing everything in on something that's there. And it's hard to think outside of that. It's hard to get outside of that. And it's certainly very difficult to start thinking about others. And so I had to make conscious decisions on a regular basis to go, stop being so self-centered, Will. Stop being so selfish. Other people are hurt in the world. But here's Jesus as the nails are going in. And he's going, Father, forgive them. He's thinking about us. In this moment of excruciating pain and suffering, he is performing his duty as our high priest, interceding for us. That blows me away. Do you realize what value Christ places on you, how much he loves you? I mean, do you realize it? He loves you so much. I tell my kids every single night, I say, don't ever forget how much God loves you. And don't ever forget that nothing you could do will ever change that. Do you know that? Do you know how much God loves you? That his heart, his passion for you never wavers, never dims. That he never devalues you because of something you've done. Nothing can change his love for you. Nothing. I mean, here he is praying for the very people nailing him to the cross, the very people responsible for nailing him to the cross. And he's saying, saying, I am their high priest. I am the only one who can intercede for him right now, and I will. Do you realize how much God loves you? If you don't get anything else today, know this. The Lord loves you, and nothing you can ever do will change that. Now, the father's side. I don't know about you, but I would not be able to watch someone do this to my son, especially if it was in or when it was in my power to stop it or to pay those responsible. If that was the case, I would be laying waste with all my fury to any guilty member of this atrocity. I would never stand by, never not seek retribution. I wouldn't care even if my son came to me and said, Dad, no, don't do anything. I'm like, no, I'm stepping in. So for the father to hear this request and not just hold back, but to answer it. It's funny because that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is asking, instead of his father intervening and dealing with the people responsible for this, he asks his father to treat them as if it never happened. To continue reaching out to them in grace and in compassion. Now, the father could have laid waste to Jerusalem right then and there. He could have said, enough. 
And just whoo. Who were they to do this to his son? But he didn't. And he didn't just not do anything. He answered Jesus' request. He kept on reaching out because in Acts 6-7, it says that, and many, the word of God increased greatly and many disciples were added to the church and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Many of the priests? These are the guys who had, gave him the illegal overnight trial. These are the guys responsible for his torture. These are the guys responsible for handing him over to Pilate. These guys responsible who kept, for shouting Pilate down and going, why, what has he done? Away with him, away with him, away with him. Crucify him. You're no friend of Caesar if you let this man go free. Those people the father kept working on, kept being gracious and compassionate towards until at some point later on, some of them, many of them, it says, became obedient to the faith. They became your brothers and sisters. You're going to see them in heaven someday. Isn't that crazy? So the father did answer that prayer. He loves us as well. We come to the semicolon. So Jesus initially spoke these words as the nails were being driven into his wrists and into his feet and his body is fastened to those pieces of wood. And as the crowd jeered and spit and the soldiers went about their work of raising him upright and the suffocation began to set in, at some point in that process is when Jesus utters the second part. He says, because they know not what they do. Well, therefore, no not refers to no means head knowledge. They don't have the head knowledge of what they're doing. It's in the perfect tense, which so it means they have not fully comprehended what they're currently doing. The word do is in the present tense. So they have not fully comprehended what they're currently doing to me. The religious leaders certainly knew they were killing an innocent man, but they did not believe for a moment that he was the son of God. Paul says if they'd believed that, they, they wouldn't have crucified him. They did not believe for a moment that he was their Messiah. They did not believe that. So in that ignorance where they did not believe he was those, he did, they didn't think they were crucifying their Messiah. They just thought they were doing away with a political enemy. As heinous as that is, it is a little bit different than shaking your fist at God and saying, I don't care. I know the truth and I don't care. It is a little bit different. And so he explains they don't realize that. Jesus doesn't mean that it's okay what they did because they didn't realize that. Many people I hear today, they believe sins of ignorance. They aren't worthy of blame. That ignorant sinners deserve to be forgiven because they just don't know any better. Almost as if ignorance is a good condition to be in. But ignorance of sin is not a desirable situation. It's a lamentable and guilty situation because I should care enough to find out what God thinks before I act. I should care enough to find out what he wants before I do something. And so for someone to just ignorantly go about their life, that's not okay. And it is worthy of judgment. But even though that's true, I don't find that most people are thinking, oh, let me drive another spike into Jesus' wrist when they commit adultery or when they cheat in their time card or they declare, well, I just think all roads lead to heaven. I don't think that's what they're saying. That doesn't excuse my adultery, my theft, or, or my unbelief. I'm still guilty before God. I'm still headed for judgment. But it is different than outright rejecting Christ. Most people there at the cross were in that category of ignorant. Many today, I find, live that way. They're ignorant. They're just doing their own thing. Not actively opposing odds. Some are, but they're just doing their own thing. 
It's the way I lived my life before Jesus came into my life. And you know what I'm glad? I'm very glad that the Lord didn't look at what that kind of life that I lived did to his son. And on my second birthday said, yeah, that's enough. Whoo, you're gone. How about that birthday party, Will? I'm glad that at some random point in my life before Christ that God didn't just go, you know what? I know what you did to my son. And I'm done. You're gone. I'm very glad that the Lord answered this prayer. People say all the time, oh yeah, well, he's doing that, so he's not going to go to heaven. Listen, there's only one way to heaven, and it's faith in Christ. But it's not, it's not certain groups of sins that send people to hell. It's rejection of Christ. It's continuing on in that ignorance and just going, I'm just going to live my life however I want. People say, what do you have to do to hell? go to hell? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just keep on going your way. This idea that God only sends certain kinds of people to hell. You say, well, what about what the Bible has to say about, well, you know, adulterers and fornicators and all these liars and all these things. They go to, that's not, it's not trying to list out groups that go to hell as opposed to other groups that don't go to hell. It's describing to you what someone does who just goes about their life and lives it their own way. That's what they do. They don't take God into the account, and so they don't look at the fact that God says, hey, adultery is wrong, lying is wrong, theft is wrong, you know, sexual sin is wrong, violence is wrong, all the various things that are mentioned here. They just go about their life, doing whatever man thinks is right in his own eyes. I'm glad that God didn't attribute to me all the ugliness done to his son this day, that he continued reaching out to me despite the fact that I don't deserve it. People often complain that God is cruel to send people to hell for being sinners, for being imperfect. God is not cruel. He's the exact opposite. When Moses came down from the mountain and saw the people who saw the miracles, they saw all that God had done, and now they're worshiping a golden calf when they can look up on the mountain, see the glory of God up there, and they're worshiping a golden calf. It was ugly. And he pleaded with God to show mercy and forgive. And when God said he would, he said, I want to know that. I want to know you. Show me your glory. And so God took him up, hit him in the cleft of the rock. And as the Lord passed by before him, he showed him as much of his glory as he could bear, handle. And so the Lord declared, proclaimed who he was. The Lord. The Lord God, just in case Moses wasn't sure. I'm the God of gods, the King of kings, the only living God. And what is he like? Merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, whatever it is you've done, wherever it falls in that list, forgiving it. And that will by no means just clear the guilty. I don't just blanketly clear the guilty. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children upon the children, and upon the children's children of the third and fourth generation. I don't, just, I don't just ignore sin. I don't just think, oh, no big deal. No, I will punish sin, but that's not what I want to do. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm patient. I'm long-suffering, abounding in mercy, abounding in truth, forgiving thousands. Won't you be one of the thousands? That's what he says. So God is not cruel when he sends people to hell. It's the last resort. It's after everything he's done to reach out. 
The reality is every second God doesn't throw us into an abyss as a mercy. That's why the charge is incorrect. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose to go there despite all God's mercy and pleading. One must literally step over the sacrificed body of God to get there. This glory of God's character, his mercy and grace that he declared to Moses on the mountain is finally seen here in probably one of the ugliest scenarios we could ever find. But there in this ugly picture of a man suffocating to death, an innocent man, a loving man, a merciful man, a truthful man, the God himself in the flesh, there's this bright light, this beautiful light shining, the glory of God. His love, his mercy, his compassion for us in the middle of us in our worst condition. His mercy and grace are finally seen in full at the cross. Jesus' loving sacrifice and his faithful intercession, it shines in stark contrast to everyone else around him. I mean, look at everyone else around him. You got the soldiers here gambling as if it's any other day on the job and they parted his garments and cast lots. No, but nothing special about this guy. The people, they stood beholding. The word there means to take their stand being spectators the entire time. Soldiers are gambling like it's any other day on the job. The people are doing nothing to stop it. And then the rulers, well, they're also with them, standing on the side, doing nothing, deriding him, mocking him, sneering at him, ridiculing him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's really the Messiah, the chosen one of God. Have you ever held back when you could blast somebody? Like you're like, oh, I could give it to him right now, but I'm not gonna. How much harder is that to do when they act like you're not holding back? I'll, I play with the kids sometimes, and, and sometimes I tell my kids, I don't ever let you win. I just don't. My dad never let me win. Oh. <laughs> Paybacks. <laughs> Plus, it feels good to block a two-year-old. <laughs> I don't let him win, but I, I will, I don't want him to be discouraged, so I, you know, I'll let him do some things sometimes, may not, you know, try my hardest, of course, because that would just be a slaughter. <laughs> However, if the seven-year-old starts talking trash, he's going to get blocked and ugly-like. It's hard when you're holding back and then somebody acts like they've got one up on you and you're like, oh, yeah, now you're going to get it. So here's Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen of God. They couldn't have been more wrong. But there they sat in their pompous, superior mindset. We finally got him. We're finally done with this guy. So there's their religious leaders. And then the soldiers, these are probably different soldiers. They also mocked him. They don't understand Hebrew. They don't understand what the priests and the religious leaders are saying to Jesus, but they can read the sign because it's in their language. It says, they mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar. The word there means sour wine. That was the beverage of the poorest people in society. Kings never drank that. And so they said, if you be the king of the Jews, save yourself. Why'd they say it? Well, that's all they knew about him. See the superscription up here that said, this is the king of the Jews. They were content to do their duty. You know, just as the religious leaders mocked Jesus for being Messiah without power to actually save, the soldiers mocked Jesus as a king without a real crown, with no power to do anything. For that's what was written above his head. This is, again, a sad picture of humanity when left to itself. We're either doing our own thing or we're doing nothing or we're mocking God. And whatever person, group, a person falls into, 
Isn't it such an ugly contrast to our loving Savior and our gracious Father? That Jesus and the Father would go through with the cross, despite all this, shows just how precious we are to him. How much he wants to redeem us and how far he's willing to go to accomplish it. You know, Matthew 13, verses 44 and 46, and I, I gotta be done because we're out of time. I've gone past time. But he tells a parable about his kingdom. He says it's like this. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man has found, he hides it, he finds the treasure, so he hides it. And then for the joy thereof, he's so excited about it, he goes and he sells everything he has and he buys the entire field so he can get the treasure. Also, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he has found one pearl of great price, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. Now, there have been songs sung about Jesus being the pearl of great price and all that kind of stuff. That's horrible, horrible. The whole theme of this chapter is how Jesus is the one who goes out and seeks and saves. He's the person who finds the treasure. He's the one who finds the pearl. And that treasure, that pearl, is you and me. I'm not worth anything to God because I'm so spiritual, I'm so good, or I'm so worth something. But I'm worth that to him because he has decided to set his love upon me. You are worth that to him. You are precious to him because he's decided to set his love upon you. And that makes you of inestimable worth. You are the treasure that he went and purchased the whole world. He purchased the whole world with his blood, died for every human being, even those he knew wouldn't accept him, died for everyone so he could get the treasure. So those who believe would be his. Do you realize how much God loves you this morning? As the worship team comes up, I want to leave you with a thought. In Ezekiel 18, 30-32, God pleads with the nation of Israel. He says, my soul has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I will judge the wicked, but my soul has no pleasure in that. So why will you die, he says. Why will you die, O Israel? What I do take pleasure in is when a sinner repents and he turns from his wicked ways and he comes and follows me. Do you realize how much Jesus loves you and how much he longs to be with you that he did this for you? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, if, if you're here today and you have never stepped out of the crowd or the gamblers or the mockers, it's time to step up to the cross. He did all of this for you so you don't have to perish. Please repent. I don't want you to perish. Let's all stand. Lord, you know where each and every one of us is today. Lord, I, I think all of us could do with a, a bit more of an understanding of your love. And so I pray this morning for each and every one of us that will walk away from here with a, a deeper understanding. That's what Paul prayed, that we know the length, the breadth, the height, the width of you know, the unsearchable love of God. We want to understand it better, Lord. And so I pray that you'd cause the things that we saw in your word, your great love for us, Lord, your prayer for us, your pleading for us, your interceding for us. Lord, you, you, our Father, your, your great love and mercy and compassion towards us. I pray that those truths would become deeply rooted in our hearts this morning that all of us will leave here today with a better understanding. But Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't, who's never stepped out of that crowd, whether they've been a gambler or a mocker or just doing their own thing, standing on the side, doing nothing, 
as it concerns their spiritual life, Lord. Whatever the case may be, if there's any today who don't know you, Lord, you let them know it's not too late. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here today and that's a decision you want to make, you want to step out of the crowd and up to the cross, you want to leave your old life behind and give your life to Jesus, I'd like to pray with you as you make that decision. So I'd ask you just to lift your hand high so I can see it and I'd love to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Anybody else this morning? You've never done that or you've been in the crowd for a long time you need to come back to the cross. Anybody else this morning you want to make that decision to give your life to Christ? Anyone else this morning before we close? Lord, you saw every person who raised their hand right now. And I just pray for them as they are confessing you as their Lord. They're saying, Jesus, I want to give you my life. Lord, you let them know that their sins are forgiven. They've been washed completely, Lord. Lord, you've been merciful to them. You answered Jesus' prayer to, to forgive them for they didn't realize what they were doing. They, they weren't thinking all that time, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to ruin Jesus' day. I'm going I'm to be the cause of the cross. But Lord, still our sin is heavy. Our sin is against you. It's not something you just wipe out and ignore. So Lord, I thank you that as they've, you've, you've been working on their heart and you've brought them to this place and now they're coming to that place of full repentance and say, God, I give you my life. And as they're doing that, Lord, will you let them know you've forgiven all those sins knowing the things they knew they did wrong, things they didn't know they did wrong, you've forgiven all of them. And that they're your child right now, clean and washed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.